Well, it's good to be here. Who's enjoying the summer? We can call it summer now, can't we? Because it's warm. I don't have a jumper on. I don't have thermals on. Normally thermals. Yeah, not shorts yet. No, Angus. 30 degrees shorts. Um, it's been great to have this warm weather. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Ashley. Uh, I did grow up in Australia, so that's probably why we've got all these heat jokes. Um, for me, this is about winter temperature, so uh, it's nice to get some warmer temperature coming. Um, but it's good to be here. Now, I realise, coming from a warm country, that it can be a little bit harder to concentrate when it's warmer. Uh, it can be. And so I will try and keep this short-ish. Um, I say ish because um, it probably won't be. But if I give you hope that it might be, you might stay engaged longer. Um, that's... Yeah, hopefully that works. Um, so today we're, we're continuing on a series. Um, things I speak today, if I speak anything to you that have been, if you've been a Christian for quite a while and you hear something I say that is new, I probably haven't communicated it right. Because I'm not really going to say much that's new. If you've been a Christian long enough, most of the stuff I'm going to say is something you've heard before. It may be a slightly different perspective, but it should be very familiar to you. The reason for this is what I'm speaking on is I base upon the Word of God, which we all love to read, but also upon other people that we respect and, and we build upon what other people have gone before us have, have said about these things. So if I say something you're like, ooh, never heard of that before, um, come speak to me afterwards and I'll probably explain what I really meant. Um, because these things we should know. There should be a sense for us who have been a Christian for a long time that these things have a sense that they're familiar. Maybe they're a little bit foggy. Maybe they're a little bit um, not at the forefront of our thinking, but there should be a sense that these things actually, I've heard something like this before. So if I'm saying anything new, uh, come speak to me afterwards. And part of that is me saying that is to, to let you know that I'm not going to be quoting a lot of people, but a lot of the stuff I'm saying has come from other people who have thought long and hard about these things. Um, we get to, as, as people in this modern day and age with uh, all the resources we have available to, we get to stand on the, on the shoulders of giants so much easier than we ever have. So I just want to start with that, um, and then we're going to jump into this now. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians, we're going to be looking at, um, particularly we're going to be in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, um, and we're going to be looking at prophecy today. So let me, let me just start by saying, if you want to have anything for this as, as a heading, as something to keep in your mind, it would be prophecy, earnestly desire. Okay, prophecy earnestly desire. So have that in your mind as we're going through these things. Let me just pray and then, then we'll read the passage. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here among us right now. We thank you that you sent your spirit so that we would know who you are and that we would be able to know the Father. So we pray today, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears so that we may see Jesus more clearly than we ever have and that we may know the Father more real than we ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, let's, if you have a Bible or a phone or a tablet or whatever, we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 14. 
Um, there's going to be no overhead today. Overhead, that's so old-fashioned. No projector. <laughs> no. Anyway, project. Anyway, prophecy. First Corinthians 14. Actually, I'm going to start from 13. Here we go. Verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Uh, Mark started off yesterday, and he gave a, um, last week, sorry, and gave a, a, um, the two opposing views to the gifts of the Spirit. Um, those who believe that it ceased and that we don't have the same gifts that the apostles had at the start, and those who believe that those gifts have continued. And, um, so I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I do want to maybe put a little bit stronger context, or a little bit stronger what we believe on this. I want to say that if we believe that love never ends, in the context that Paul is writing this, likewise, prophecies do not end. The only way we know that prophecy ends is when the perfect comes, which is when Jesus Christ returns. So prophecy will last as long as love lasts, until Jesus returns. And anyone who would say that the gifts of the Spirit cease, at best, they are misguided. At worst, they're false teachers. The reason for this is when we come to Scripture like this, we must realize that we all come with a bias. We must realize that we come with preconceived ideas of what we want to be true. I'm going to tell you, honestly, it is easier for me to believe that prophecy doesn't exist because then I don't have to see it. I don't have to try and earnestly desire it. I don't have to try and have God show up in this way. I can just go, you know, it's ceased, so all I have to do is read the Bible and follow Christ. That, that would be my tendency to say the easier thing to do would be to say it, it ceased. But you can't if you honestly come to the Bible. And this is a point when we come and read Scripture, we must, must make sure that we do not bypass the Bible 
to fit our own opinions in to get the Bible to back up what we want to be. We must not bypass the Bible. And when we're speaking of prophecy, we can, those people that would, the reason I say they're misguided is because often people will say it doesn't exist because of past experience or because of what they've seen the extreme end of it doing. But the antidote for misuse is not disuse, but proper use. Let me say that again. The antidote for misuse is not disuse, but proper use. So today we're going to be speaking on prophecy and see how can we properly, properly apply what the scripture says about prophecy today for us. When we read this scripture, and if, if I continued reading all the way through um, the rest of chapter 14, there is a word that keeps coming up multiple times. And this is this earnestly desire. It starts off at the start of chapter 14. It says earnestly desire. And when Paul finishes chapter 14, he once again says he's told us all about tongues and prophecy and what it's about. And at the end, he bookmarks it by saying, so earnestly desire prophecy. So what does it mean to earnestly desire? Well, at the start of this series, Mark mentioned the start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul actually speaks to them and he's commending them and says, well done, you, you do not lack any spiritual gift. You do not lack any spiritual gift. So they were operating in Corinthians, they were operating in prophecy. They were already operating in prophecy. And so when Paul's saying this here now, he's saying you're operating at a level, but now I'm telling you to earnestly desire prophecy. What does this mean? Well, earnestly means to a greater extent. Take it more seriously than you ever have. Move more frequently. Move more in this. Move further on earnestly to a greater extent, more than before. So this must be pretty important to the Apostle Paul. It must be quite critical if he's saying in multiple places, not just prophesy occasionally, not just think about it, maybe if we have a prayer meeting where we're going to say, let's, let's all look at prophecy, not on a day like today where we're going to look at prophecy. He's saying, no, prophecy, you're doing prophecy and and that's good but I want you to go beyond that I want you to have a greater extent of prophecy I want you to go more than before I want you to earnestly desire so the challenge for us today straight away is this prophecy we know that God speaks prophecy among us and we'll look at what that exactly means in a moment but the very starting point is this desire it to a greater extent than you ever have our starting point for prophecy is this if you have desired it a little desire it more if you've never desired prophecy desire it if you've desired it a lot 
a lot more. Our starting point is this, desire more than you ever have prophecy. This is our starting point for prophecy. So what is prophecy? What, what do we define prophecy as? How can we recognise it? Well, according to the passage here from Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says that prophecy is intelligible message from God to people. In verse 9, he says, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is in, in, intelligible, is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is being said? For you will not be speaking for you will be speaking into the air. But if I do not know that the meaning, it is a foreign it is as a foreign speaker to me. So you yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive for excellence in building up the church. The very first thing is the contrast between prophecy and tongues is that tongues can be unintelligible, prophecy is intelligible. And Paul also mentions that it is to people. Prophecy is to the people. We see that back in verse 3, where he says, the one who prophesies speaks to people. So when we have prophecy, it is something we can understand in our language. It is something that is to people, um, so that we can take it and understand and then be able to do something with it. The other thing that's interesting about prophecy is the prophecy involves the Trinity. Prophecy involves the Trinity. Now we see this in, uh, when, when Paul speaks about the gifts in general, when he speaks about the gifts in Corinthians 12, 4 and 6, he says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God. That's a Father, Son, and Spirit, or the Spirit, Son, and Father in that order, who empowers them all to, and everyone. So the gifts have a triunal effect. But even more clearly than this is if we go to First Peter. This is one of, the, one of the ones which I absolutely love reading. If we go to First Peter... Sorry, not First Peter, Second Peter. Second Peter one. Second Peter one, sixteen to twenty-one says this. Just make sure I've got the right one this time. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you. Uh, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honour and glory, for when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain." And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's saying here that not only the New Testament prophecy, but all of prophecy has a triune aspect to it. And the reason for this is that all prophecy is inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is from God the Father. It is the speaking of God through the Holy Spirit. And if we want to sum up the whole of prophecy in Scripture, it would be summarized as this, Jesus. All of prophecy is pointing to the one thing, to the one person, to the one event in history. All of prophecy is leading up to this one event, Jesus. So when we have prophecy, we should expect there to be a flavor of the triune. We should be expecting there to be a, a, a God, the Father, speaking through his Son, uh, through the Holy Spirit, that would edify and somehow lead us to the Son, that would sometimes re- somehow reveal or glorify his Son in a way that hasn't been before. Now we can think about this, but what about personal prophecy? What about if someone tells me something that they don't even mention Jesus in it? Well, still the purpose of that prophecy would be that you would be going towards Jesus that you would be coming into a place that he would be revealed in a new way that you had not seen before, so that you may say, Jesus be glorified even in this situation. Jesus be glorified even in that decision. Jesus, you be glorified. So prophecy, all of prophecy, every single prophecy, we look all through the Old Testament. In fact, a really great thing to do, um, we can't do this because we... This is a shorter sermon. So, a great thing to do would be to go through all of the Old Testament and look at every single prophecy that had a hint or an obvious pointing towards Jesus. And you would find it in every single book of the Bible. You would find every single book of the Bible would have a prophecy that points towards one who is coming, one who is coming to set right that which has gone wrong. All prophecy has a triune aspect to it. So we would expect prophecy to be intelligible. We would expect us to understand. We'd expect it to be from God to people. We'd expect it to involve something of a triune nature. This is what prophecy is. What is the outworking? What would we expect the outworking of this to achieve? What is the purpose of prophecy in church today. This passage alone, just in chapter 14 that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians, he says it again and again and again. This thing of building up. Of building up, of encouraging, of edifying, of strengthening. So we would expect prophecy to have some kind of a strengthening aspect or an encouraging aspect or a building up aspect. This is mentioned in this chapter alone in verses 3, 4, 5, 12 and 26. He mentions this very thing. Building up, encouraging. 
So we would expect there to be an encouraging part of this. We would expect there to be a strengthening. We'd expect there to be a building up. Now sometimes a difficult thing can be is when you're in a difficult situation and a word comes, it doesn't always seem encouraging. It can can sometimes not feel like it's encouraging at the time. But it can be strengthening knowing that God sees where you are at and he's still speaking into your life at that point so that you may know that you are not alone in this, but God sees, he hears, and he will strengthen because he wants you to get to a place that you can't even see yet. So although it may not feel encouraging, the purpose is that you may be strengthened to get to where he is calling you to be. According to this chapter as well, and the Apostle Paul, we would expect there to be some kind of a learning or instructions. In verse 19 and verse 31, it mentions about there being instruct. Prophecy is to instruct. In verse 31 it says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. There seems to be an aspect that actually not only to be encouraged, but you're supposed to learn something. You're supposed to take something on. It's supposed to have brought to you something that you were unaware of before. It is now supposed to be something that you grasp and take forward so that actually it can be something that is of value later on as well. We would expect there to be some learning or some instruction as well. In 1 Corinthians 12.7, it says it's for the common good. Now, when it speaks about it, it says all spiritual gifts are for the common good, but prophecy also is for the common good. The common good meaning that actually prophecy is not just for the one prophesying. It's not just for the one receiving. There seems to be an aspect of prophecy that should actually have a far-reaching effect that is beyond not only the people who receive the prophecy, but those people who are affected by it. So prophecy has a common good that works not only in those who are speaking and receiving, but has a knock-on effect to those who haven't even heard the uh, the prophecy. There seems to be that prophecy should have a common good beyond those who are speaking and receiving. We would expect a common good to come for it. We can also expect, and quite often this is true, that it's only part that we hear. That it's not totally clear all the time. Not for the one speaking, and sometimes not for the one receiving. And this is Paul, as I mentioned, as I read in verse 13, that you know, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So this isn't going to be a clear instruction, step-by-step guidelines. You must, you must, you must. This is a prophecy that is in part. And there's many reasons for this, and we can't go into all the reasons for this, but primarily the reason for the in part um, part of it is that we would be ones who would seek the one speaking. It is supposed to be one... It's supposed to draw us to him to say, what does this mean? Because all of uh, prophecy is to build up our relationship with one another, but primarily with God. Our relationship should be built with God. So part of this is that we have this, we have a peace given to us. And with that, 
that, that some kind of instruction, some kind of knowledge, some kind of learning, we then take it and we take it to God and say, God, I've been giving this, what does it mean? And all of a sudden, relationship with God is happening. Prophecy, in part, brings relationship. Now, this is not just New Testament prophecy. Some people will say that you know, New Testament prophecy is different from Old Testament prophecy. I'm not so sure. Because when the old prophets, when the prophets of the Old Testament were prophesying, they didn't really know what was going to happen. In fact, when they were prophesying about Jesus, some of this stuff we read about, I don't know if you've read Psalm 22. I mean, talk about if you want to get an, a, a non-believer to believe in prophecy, just read Psalm 22 to them and then go and read what it says about Jesus. I mean, it is mind-blowing, the accuracy of this. But even when David's writing Psalm 22 and Isaiah's writing about the Christ to come, they didn't know what that fully meant. And in fact, the prophets of old, they actually believed that there'd be two Christs. They believed there'd be two Messiahs because they couldn't understand how one would die and one would judge. They couldn't understand how one would come and suffer and one would rule forever. forever. In their mind, the only, only way you could meet these two things would be that there is two Christs, one who would die and then one who would come and rule. So even in the Old Testament, although as accurate as it is, it is still only in part that they're seeing. It's almost like they're seeing dimly something that is going to happen. I remember I heard one guy described it as all prophecy, all prophets are short-sighted. They can't see in the distance. And particularly the, old, the prophets of old Mainly they're coming as warnings. Mainly it's coming because something's gone wrong. Uh, and one guy described it as a person being hit by a bus. They're on the ground. Something's gone terribly wrong. And they look into the distance. They see down the road there's something coming. They can't quite make it out. It looks like it's got flashing lights of some sort, but I'm not sure what that is. And I can't quite make out why it's coming. But as it comes closer, it becomes more clear. Is it coming to help or is it coming to, to hit again? Like, am I going to get run over again? What is these, why is it flashing lights at me? And as it comes closer and closer, it becomes more clear. And when it arrives, all of a sudden it's clear, oh, it's the ambulance. Prophecy is often like this. We see short sight and until it happens, we're like, ah, I see it now. And as it gets closer, it becomes easier to see. And this is the same as Jesus. We can obviously read Psalm 22, and we can obviously say, that's definitely talking about Jesus. Why? Because he's arrived. And when we read Isaiah, and he's talking about one who will suffer, but one who will judge and rule, we can obviously see that's Jesus, because Jesus has died, and now he's ascended, and he says, I'm coming back again. So now the prophecy makes sense. It's the same, same Messiah, same Christ. He died, but he's coming again. See, the Old Testament prophets could never see that Christ would come twice. They thought it was once. They thought two Christs would come once. But it's actually one Christ comes twice. And we see that now because the first has happened. Prophecy 
is in part. It's not always totally clear. Prophecy is also like serving a meal that someone else is going to eat. You speak to someone, but it may be not even for them. It may be that you're giving a meal for them to pass on to someone else. You can't even see the end impact of that. This is uh, quite clear in Daniel when Daniel has these amazing visions and these amazing prophecies of what will be. And at the end of Daniel, he, he goes... He's had all these things and he's writing it all down. And it's, I don't know if you've read the end of Daniel, but it's, it's, it's almost comical because he goes, he goes to the angel that's giving it all to him. He goes, what the heck is all this? He's just like, what does this all mean? What is it? And the angel just says, Daniel, seal it up. It is not for you. It is for the future. So sometimes you get a prophecy you're, you're looking at it and you're just like, this makes absolutely no sense. What, what, how does this imply into the context I'm in? Well, do you know what? Sometimes prophecy doesn't apply to your context. Sometimes it's for a future context that's not even happened. Daniel wrote something that some of the things have happened, some of the things are yet to be. And they still haven't been unsealed. And they're still for a time yet. So we would expect, in part, we expect not totally clear, we'd expect that sometimes it's not for now, it's for a future that we do not know. Well, how do we know that something is a prophecy? Well, I think there's, there's three characteristics of a prophecy. And I think... In some aspects, either in part or in full, prophecy will retain three of these things. The first is revelation. First is revelation. So verse 25 uh, in chapter 14, it says, The secrets of his heart will be disclosed. Now, there is something of a revelation that comes when prophecy comes. Prophecy reveals something that was not known before. It comes, I, it comes from God, so often it is miraculous revealing. But it reveals something. It's a revelation of something that was not known that now is known. So the first part of a prophecy should be revealing something. Prophecy should be redirectional. There should be a direction the prophecy is pointing towards. So there should be something revealed, something learned, something instructed, something that then leads to a redirection. So now that this has come, this has been revealed, there's going to be a change. What was before happening now is going to be shifted and there's going to be a redirection. So prophecy should be a revelation that causes redirection. But the third part of prophecy that I think that they should all have is purpose. We should have revelation, redirection, but a purpose. And the thing with God is God always has a reason for the things he does. When he speaks and brings revelation, it is so that his purposes may be revealed. 
Now, that may be for us individually, a change of purpose. It may be for our corporate setting. It may be for a whole movement. Now, we've heard this before where prophecy come and the shift comes that was never seen before. Something's revealed, redirection has happened because there is a purpose that has been given that we now want to be there where he said that we can be. Those are the three things I think that prophecy we should be seeing in prophecy if it's from God. Purpose. It is not... When we have prophecy, we need to make sure that it's not aimless. It's not just a... It's not just an encouragement. So encouragement's good, and we need to encourage one another, but that's, that's not prophecy. So when we wanted to know what's the difference between encouragement and prophecy, well, encouragement will, will be something you need just to give you courage or fortify you for this purpose. Prophecy will be something that reveals, redirects, and then gives you purpose for going forward. Whereas encouragement might just get you through the next while, Purpose will give you a distance that you can see, that you're like, that's what I'm aiming for. The purpose also is, as I said before, it is relational. If prophecy doesn't increase your relationship with God, it's not prophecy. It should be relational. Why? God is relational. Prophecy from God will be a triunal flavor, and that will be Relational. We, we see this a little bit in 13.12 where it, where it says this. The purpose of this is for we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes, we'll see him to face to face and we'll know him fully. Until then, prophecy helps us see that he knows us fully and that we're on the journey of knowing him fully. So the purpose of prophecy also is that we would know God more and we would know that God knows us fully. The purpose also of prophecy is this, is that we would persevere in pursuing Love. Paul starts his whole point of going into this, when he's going into prophecy in tongues, he starts it, he's got the whole, whole part of this on, on spiritual gifts, and then right in the middle he goes, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you a more perfect way than even gifts, and that is the way of love. And he tells this amazing thing about love, and then he goes on, and when he goes into prophecy in tongues, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So our, our, our default should be pursuing love. Prophecy should be helping us to pursue love. And so the purpose of prophecy should be for us to pursue love, which is pursuing God. Okay, I'm going to... We're going to go through some examples quickly. But before that, how do we test it? Um, we test it against Scripture. The more directional a prophecy is, the more it should be weighed, tested, and measured. Okay? The more directional a prophecy is, the more you should weigh and test it. The more you should see, does it line up with Scripture? More does it, should you say, does it line up with other things God has said to me? 
Okay, so the more directional, that, so test it against Scripture, test it against other prophecy. The reason we test it against Scripture is this. Prophecy is what I think God said. Scripture is what I know God has said. Okay, so this is why we test against Scripture. Let me say that again. Prophecy is what I think God has said. Scripture is what I know God has said. So we take what we think God has said and we compare it to what we know God has said. And if it doesn't match up with what we know God has said, guess which one goes? The one we think. Now, when Paul speaks about this later, he says, don't just chuck everything away with prophecy, though, because sometimes someone will prophesy and there'll be parts in part There'll be parts of that that actually are accurate. Some of it may be actually not quite right. So let's just quickly look at that from an example in Acts. We're going to quickly look at a prophecy by Agabus, um, and it's about Paul being arrested in Jerusalem. Now, this story, this is prophecy. This helps us in part, and sometimes we get the application wrong. Okay? And this is all in Acts. So in Acts, I've got the verses here. We won't go into the verses now because I'll just try and show this and then we, I, I want to go into a, a time of communion. So in Acts, we have the Apostle Paul. He's in Macedonia. And he's been there for a, a few years and he's been teaching um, the, the churches there. And then he says, I've been um, compelled in my spirit. Uh, no, I've been compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So he's got something of the Spirit telling him that it's time for him to go to Jerusalem. So here is this. This is prophecy for Paul. It's now directional. So he's redirecting. He was in a place. Now he's shifting. He's, he's looking, how do I get to Jerusalem now? And it's for a purpose. Actually, let's just quickly look at the purpose because it is helpful. Um, so the purpose is this. So he says... Uh, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God, So his purpose is this. God has told him, I'm going to send you to Rome. He says that um, later on. But you need to go to Jerusalem first. And the purpose is because your ministry is that you would stand before Caesar and you would speak the gospel in Rome. So here Paul has a revelation, directional, for the purpose of the gospel going to Rome. So this is what Paul has. Now he also knows that it's not a good thing he's going to. So you can be reading this and go, it doesn't sound very encouraging. But God's telling him now. So how much more encouraging is he telling him now than, than later? Now as he goes on, he actually goes to Cyprus. And when he's there in Cyprus, he actually meets a, a bunch of disciples and they actually prophesy that he's actually going to find hardship when he gets there. So they have a, an understanding of the future that's going to happen. But what do they do? They tell him, it's going to be hard. Don't go, Paul. They actually say to him, in the scripture here, it says, I'm going to read it out for you just in case you don't believe me. Um, <laughs> um, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. 
So here they have heard something of the Spirit that confirms to Paul that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to find suffering and hardship. And because of that, their application is, don't go because actually there's suffering and hardship. For Paul, it's like, oh, thank you, you've confirmed what God said before. <laughs> there's going to be suffering and hardship. And so he goes. So sometimes we can hear from God and we can apply it wrong. So these people were hearing from God that Paul was going to find it hard, but their application was, don't go. Paul had heard from God saying, do go and you're going to find it hard. So sometimes we get the application wrong, even if what God says is right. So that's why we test and weigh it against what God has said in the scripture and to us in the past. Um, there's, a whole, there's a whole story in the Old Testament all about that as well. Now when he gets to um, the next place, where does he get to? Tyree, when he gets to Tyree, he gets to, there's a, the prophet Agabus comes down and he says, he comes to Paul and he, and he takes Paul's belt and he binds his hands and his feet and he says to Paul, the man, or he says to those who are there, the man who owns this belt, this is what is going to happen to him. The Jews are going to bind him hands and feet and hand him over to the Romans. Okay, so... That confirms Paul's going to suffer. But if we go on in the story, it doesn't happen that way. Paul doesn't get bound by the Jews. The Jews actually want to just beat him up and kill him. But he does get bound by the Romans. So the Romans come out to save him. They bound him up and they take him prisoner. So he is imprisoned and he is bound, but it's not by the Jews, it's by the Romans. So even in this, Agabus has seen in part he gives what he feels is from God, but it's not completely accurate. But it actually confirms what Paul had in the, from God originally, confirms what he had from um, Cyprus, but it also now is confirming that actually he's going to be in prison and bound. So confirm, confirm, confirm. Even though it was not completely accurate, it wasn't the Jews who were doing the binding. So this confirms this whole, that there is sometimes it is in part, but actually the emphasis of what God was saying all along is consistent and accurate. And it was for Paul to know that actually God was in every situation. So Paul getting to Rome was assured because the prophecy had come. And if Paul hadn't have got arrested and bound up, he would have said, something's not right because God said it would happen. So prophecy helps strengthen us in the moments where actually it's the darkest. Paul has just been beaten and bound and yet he knows, actually this is God's in this. He is going to send me to Rome. Let me just give a few personal examples as well of prophecy. And then we're going to go into communion. Okay, yeah. When I was um, in my 20s, um, I had no desire and no want to be a leader of any sort. Um, it seemed a bit stifling. It seemed a bit restrictive. And at a tw as, as a 20-year-old 20, 20 kid, um, all I wanted to do was pursue Christ, but not in the restrictions of maybe leadership. And for me also, it was something that was perhaps unattainable for me. And there was a guy who I, I didn't know very well. I had certainly shown no leadership qualities of any sorts, and he spoke to me and he just said, he just looked me in the eyes and says, one day you're going to be a leader. Now at the time he said it, 
there's something that struck with me. Now, it struck with me because I can remember it now. But at the time I said, that's impossible. You don't know who you're speaking to. You don't know who I am. You, you don't know what you're saying. So I couldn't even see the ambulance in the dim distance at this point. It was something that was beyond the horizon. And yet now as I look back and I see this man who spoke into my life that I would be leader, and I look back now and I see him like, yeah, he, he saw something that I could not. Now that stuck with me and it stuck with me over the years so that when things started to change, it kept coming up in my heart. And so when things were asked of me in terms of leadership, my response was always, yes. And in my head was, I'll work it out later. So my response was, because I felt so deeply that God had said something I could not see, I took it because it was revelation I could not see. It was redirecting my life, and the purpose was so that I could fulfill things for God in being able to lead others into being followers of Christ. Revelation, redirection, and purpose. And the redirection was any time God said to me something that had a leadership flavor, my mouth said, yes. My mind and my heart said, we'll catch up later. Redirection for a purpose. Another thing we've had is, I might leave that. Should I leave the prophecy or should I go for that? Okay. This is so good, isn't it? Yeah. Such good teaching. Um, God, God's been saying to, to me just recently, and he knows this, and I think this is a moment to say something publicly, but I've had a phrase that I've been living with, and Ashley knows this. He must increase, I must decrease. And uh, I'm encouraging him all the time to run on and run on and run on. And I, I'm just loving what he's bringing this morning. And one of the things about Ashley is, this is also part of it, is that we learn and we grow, don't we? <laughs> so it's always learning. And, and Ashley's in such a season of learning and growing at the moment in so many ways. Um, and so it's, it's even like this. And we were saying this morning, he's got so much material. And you could talk about this subject for a whole weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the thing about communion, and I think this is all part of this in a minute, and I think people should go and take communion. Yeah. So we're learning together, and we've been... Um, but I want him to run on more and more. Um, you said communion is prophetic. Yeah. And it is. The thing about communion is a prophetic action. So we're not just looking back. So the Lord said, doesn't he, do this in remembrance. And there's a looking back. But every time we take communion, what are we doing? <clears throat> we're looking forward. Yes, we yes. said that, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago. And so one of the reasons you felt for us to take communion today is, A, it's a good thing to do it all the time. But that we, as we take communion, it's a prophetic action. Ashley said he felt he prayed a lot and he'd got a word that he wants to bring to you that for us to learn as a body. I read it this morning and I thought, yeah. So you share it 
And then let's get um, Abby and the team to help us. Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's take communion. Let's pray for one another that we might go on in the prophetic. Amen? Amen. Some of you might say, I used to move in this. I don't anymore. Pray. Can you pray for me that I would stir it up again, that I would eagerly desire it? Some of you might say, I'd love to do this. I'd love to come alongside someone else and build them. I'd love to bring a word like Mike Groves does. (laughs) I'd love to do that. I don't know. Ask each other to pray for each other, yeah? You can come forward and we can pray as well. But I think this sort of next 10 minutes, you share this. And then let's have some worship. Let's share communion. In fact, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for what you're doing today. I want to thank you this season that you've got us in right now. We thank you for your life that was given for us. Lord, incredible, those hundreds and hundreds of prophetic words that were completed in you when you Mm. came, Lord Jesus. And some still even to be finished and completed. So as we just hear what Ashley has for us, I pray, give us ears to hear. As we share communion together, Lord, give us hearts to respond, to give thanks, but also to look forward to the day of your return. But Lord, I pray, would you help us as a body this morning to build and strengthen and encourage one another that we might grow in the gifts that you've given us, that we might build and bless one another. Father, Father, we just just give you these next moments. Holy Spirit, we just say again, you're so welcome. Come and build your church. Come and take us forward. For those who are visitors here, may they be encouraged and strengthened. May they go back into their context, taking with them encouragement from the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so I was up early this morning and I was praying and I thought, Look, if I'm speaking on prophecy, Lord, I must be open to be one to receive a prophecy. Um, and as I, I thought, well, yeah. So I, I don't know about you, there's sometimes you, you need to worship, don't you, to allow uh, your heart to be open to the things of God. And when I'm in those moments, particularly in a, in a prophetic thing, I go to Keith Green. I don't know if any of you know Keith Green, but he's my go-to guy if I want to worship and I want to hear the prophetic. Um, so as I had a bit of Keith Green on, uh, these words came to me. And particularly this word, half ready. I have a picture of a boat that has been fully prepared for a voyage, an all-expenses-paid voyage. The boat is in dock. All provisions are on board. The ramp is down and boarding is open. Then I see a picture of the boat leaving the harbour. And on the docks are people with luggage beside them watching the boat leave. I felt God is saying this. I have prepared for you, Apex, a voyage. A journey from where you are to a place you have not been. Places of beauty and adventure. Places that you have heard about, but now I want to show you. 
There will be storms that I will navigate you through. And at times, the tossing of the waves will make you feel uneasy, but I will bring you safely through. But this I have to say to you. You are half ready. You have received the message gladly, but now is the time to get on board. Half ready is not ready at all. I have prepared everything for you. Don't let the things of this world distract you from the boarding the boat. Everything is ready. Boarding is now open. I bring this before you because I think this is an opportunity for us to weigh and test this. Is this revealing something that we didn't know before? Or is it continually revealing something God has already said? We have had a previous word that is similar. You're in a field, it's time to move to a bigger field. There is something God has already spoken to us about. Is it redirectional? Yes, it is. Because where we're at is not enough. Abby spoke about the weeds that bind. Jill spoke about 2020 vision. There are things that are going to hinder us. We're half ready. We need to start to stop looking at the trinkets in the shops and get our luggage on board. We need to stop being distracted and we need to get on board. There is a call to not be half ready, but to be fully on board. Is it directional? Yes. What's its purpose? That we will see things that we have not seen. We would go where God is leading us to go so that we may know him more as we see that he knows us fully. Does this line up with scripture? There is many parts of this that we could pull scripture verses out as well. So we can weigh, we can test, and we can measure these things. So this is a word that we have. I felt God gave to me for us as a church. And as we go get communion, I want to just finish on these. What's the implication of prophecy? I'm going to give you four parts. One, the implication of prophecy is this. There is a God and he is among us. Prophecy implies there is a God and he is among us. Prophecy also implies Jesus is Lord. The third part is God has a plan. Prophecy shows us that God has a plan. We don't know the end. Sorry. Communion actually speaks of us knowing the end. We know how it ends. He's coming back, right? But God knows the steps in between, and he has a plan for the steps in between getting to the end. God has a plan. And the fourth is this, prepare for action. The implication of prophecy is this, prepare for action. Pursue love, build up faith, always remember our hope. 
We do all this now because he is returning. As we take communion, let us remind ourselves of why prophecy comes, because he is returning. So I want to encourage you now to grab communion as we take it together. We will take communion as a prophetic act that Jesus was said that he would return, and he will. And as we take this, we want to turn that into something of glory and worship to God. The prophetic act of, of communion is also married by the prophecies that so tell us of his death and suffering, but the prophecies that tell us of his glorification. And if the prophecies of his death and suffering have come true, so shall the prophecies of his glorification come true as well. So when we take communion, we remember prophecy has been fulfilled in his death, suffering, and resurrection. Prophecy will be fulfilled in his glorification. So let's take communion together. So can I encourage you at the back there is the communion cups and the bread. Grab, the, grab them and we'll come together and we'll take communion together. and the wine, let me just read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. And just in your mind, just remember the death and suffering prophecies that have been fulfilled. And as you take and you drink and you eat, be reminded of the prophecies that he will return and he will be glorified. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come, Lord Jesus.